0: tomorrow, and for the next eight weeks, we have to hit the streets. And priority number one is to remove Donald Trump from the White House.
1: Sounds good. I'm in. So I could use a nap first. Maybe that's just me.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm too scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you
1: Yep Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From with Pacifica you From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California On KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Burden Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Uh, While many in the media now remain focused on all of the various nightmares that our nation now faces under an imaginably incompetent and corrupt administration and a continuing deadly pandemic, which, yes, continues to cripple the nation, no matter how much Donald Trump and the Republicans continue to pretend that it is still not happening and still, uh, yes, threatening Donald Trump's chances for re-election. While all of that is going on, the gears of American democracy continue to grind forward toward Election Day on November 3rd, even as a few more states are still holding their statewide primary elections on Tuesday, It was Massachusetts' turn with, uh, as we noted uh, yesterday on the broadcast, a couple of interesting races that we have been watching closely. We haven't gotten to speak about them, but I know, Desi Doyne, you've been watching one in particular.
3: Oh, yes. Uh,
1: If only because it involves someone who has become, I think it's fair to say, a hero to those of us who appreciate how bad our climate crisis is getting and how bad it now, in fact, is. Is that also fair to say?
3: Oh, that's very fair. In fact, I would say it kind of understates it a little bit.
1: Well, I told you I needed a nap. I'm exhausted. (laughs) But it also underscores, I I think, how much a major World War II-like effort will be needed to mitigate the worst of what lies ahead in our climate crisis. Though it also happens to be a time when the nation could also desperately use a World War II-like, Depression-era-like effort to put Americans back to work and combat climate change at the same time. To that end, 74-year-old Senator Ed Markey, Democrat of Massachusetts, a 45-year member of Congress, having served some 37 years in the uh, U.S. House of Representatives, seven years as the Commonwealth's junior U.S. Senator, fended off 39-year-old primary challenger congressman joe kennedy III. that name may sound familiar in the state's primary elections on tuesday according to unverified vote tallies as of today at this hour with ap having called the race not long after the polls closed on tuesday night followed quickly by a concession phone call from kennedy Markey appears to have defeated the young Kennedy by about 11 points, according to those still unofficial and unverified computer tallies, which currently show uh, about 55 to 44 percent Markey over Kennedy in a race that many ingenious pundits just a few weeks ago thought Kennedy was likely to win. He didn't. And now uh, becomes the first person from the Kennedy dynasty to ever lose a race in Massachusetts, according to many of the news reports today. The long-serving Senator Markey, regarded as a fierce climate champion, having co-sponsored the Green New Deal with Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, cultivated mass support among progressives in the race for that and for his support of Medicare for All, He described his victory via Twitter as a, quote, undeniable mandate for change. Tonight, he wrote, is more than just a celebration of an election. It is a celebration of a movement, he tweeted, adding thank you to the thousands of grassroots supporters who organized around the principles that we believe in. Markey highlighted his commitment to progressive values, stating that, quote, we made it clear that we'd rather lose fighting as hard as we could for what we believe in than in finding the middle ground. His remarks to supporters at his victory celebration calling on others to run and win the same way echoed that tweet. Growing up, my father told me,
0: don't beg for your rights. You organize and you take them. So to the young people fighting in this movement for change here is my charge to you march in the streets protest run for school committee or city council or the state legislature and win but don't just challenge the status quo dismantle it take things over when they say slow down go faster when they say not now start that day (laughs) When they say, not that way, redraw the map. When they say, you're too young, show up with your friends. Every reason the critics and cynics offer to give up or give in is proof positive that you should push forward and hard. The time to be timid is past. The age of incrementalism is over. Now is our moment to think big, to build big, to be big. This is what this election is all about. This is what this moment demands. The progressive movement knows how to fight. We will not surrender. We know. We know our work is not done. Tomorrow and for the next eight weeks, we have to hit the streets. And priority number one is to remove Donald Trump from the White House.
1: That's Senator Ed Markey at his victory speech on Tuesday night, having uh, clinched the nomination to run for another term as the uh, Massachusetts junior senator. For his part, Joe Kennedy, his challenger, uh, who seems largely to have run on his dynastic record as a Kennedy, if little else, at least according to critics, told supporters that he had called Markey to congratulate the incumbent and to, quote, pledge my support to him, and his campaign in the months ahead. Senator Markey will now go on to run against Trump supporting Republican attorney Kevin O'Connor, who easily defeated scientist Shiva Ayadurai on Tuesday. Because it's not a great time to be a scientist hoping to win a Republican nomination, I guess, especially one with the name of Ayadurai. In a state that usually, but not always, elects Democrats to statewide office. They currently have a moderate, if still Republican, governor in the state. And some will recall uh, when then-GOP wunderkind Scott Brown uh, briefly won the uh, Senate seat left vacant after the death of Ted Kennedy in a special election. Well, he was later replaced by in the next regular election by a nice lady named Elizabeth Warren. And speaking of Kennedys, the uh, while the marquee race was perhaps the most watched, another contest on Tuesday in the great Commonwealth was closely eyed by politicos, this one for the U.S. House. Sixteen term, sixteen term Democratic Congressman Richard Neal of Massachusetts, one of the most powerful Democrats in Congress, won his party's primary nomination on Tuesday, overcoming an energetic, progressive challenge from 31-year-old Holyoke Mayor Alex Morse, the one that came with a late twist or two in the final stages of the campaign. In the solidly Democratic 1st Congressional District, Neal's primary victory on Tuesday virtually assures him a 17th term representing western Massachusetts and a swath of the state's central region. In the end, the closely watched contest appears, according to ballots tallied to date, to have not even been close. The Associated Press called the race for Neal less than two hours after polls closed on Tuesday night, and HuffPost reports today, with nearly 88 percent of ballots tallied, Neal was ahead of the progressive Morse by about 18 percentage points. Richie Neal even appears to have won in Morse's hometown of Holyoke by a five point margin. So what happened in Massachusetts that resulted in a much older, more progressive senator defeating a less progressive congressman with the name and family history of Kennedy while an older less progressive but powerful establishment uh, Democratic congressman was able to easily hold off a younger, more progressive challenger. Here to help us make sense of everything, as he almost always does, is the man who has been helping us in recent weeks and months to step through a number of sometimes complicated but always interesting late state primary races with an eye focused on contests Testing progressive candidates and sometimes progressivism itself. Howie Klein is the inimitable founder of the indispensable progressive blog downwithtyranny.com and co-founder with our friends Heather Digby-Parton of Hullabaloo and John Amato of Crooks and Liars of the Blue America Pack, dedicated to raising small-dollar donations to help elect progressives, not Democrats, but progressives to office. And as I always try to note, the man who knows way too much about congressional campaign politics than can possibly be healthy for him or for any of us, frankly. Oh, Howie Klein, welcome back to the broadcast, amigo. Thanks, Brad. Uh, it has been a long primary season, Howie, uh, one that seems to have gone on several years longer than most. You holding up okay as we head into the home stretch here, my friend?
4: Oh, yeah. Doesn't yeah. get to me at all.
1: Okay, good. Well, it sure gets to me. I don't know how you do it. Let's start with the uh, with the Markey Kennedy race, uh, which a few months ago was looking like Kennedy was very possibly going to win. So, Howie, two questions for a start. A, what the hell was Joe Kennedy thinking in challenging progressive climate champion Ed Markey in the first place? And two, how did he blow it?
4: Let me start with two and then get to one. All right. Although they're very uh, interconnected. Mm-hmm. So, uh I, I think that one of the big the, one of the big headlines of how he came to lose was um, he never he never was able to articulate a reason why he was running. Mm-hmm. And then to go back to one, then is that he. Uh, what he was doing was a stepping stone towards the presidency. He felt it was his uh, birthright to run for president, and you have to go from being a house member to a statewide officer to do that in his mind, and that's what he was doing. People I know, who know him, I don't know him. I've never spoken with him. People mm-hmm. who do, who have, uh, mostly his colleagues, have told me that he doesn't tie his shoe without deciding how that will impact his run for the presidency. <laughs> Every single thing he does, whether it's picking out a color of a tie, uh-huh. finding what to eat at lunch, it's all about his run for the presidency.
1: Well, for crying out loud, he was running against someone who was 74 years old. He couldn't wait one more uh, Senate term before. And it might Trump. not
4: even have to wait. I mean, there is some talk that Biden, I don't think it'll happen, but there's mm-hmm. talk that Biden may pick uh, Elizabeth Warren to be in his cabinet. Mm-hmm. In which would open uh, open that seat up to a possibility of Kennedy winning that, which would have been a lot easier and cleaner. So Uh, another reason, by the way, why he uh, why he lost, I believe. um, Well, let's put it like this: so so the the numbers that you were quoting uh, uh, that showed him winning mm -hmm. were really from last year. Uh, Markey has been um, steadily and slowly making. Uh, uh, inroads into that giant Kennedy advantage that that really happened a year ago mm-hmm. when he first announced he was going to run. There was so much excitement, particularly from older people who who thought, Oh, how wonderful another Kennedy we mm-hmm. want that uh, and that sort of dissipated slowly over the course of the last year. I believe that the 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 final uh, coup de Gras to uh, to his hopes to uh, Joe Kennedy III's hopes was the Nancy Pelosi endorsement of him that did it. Uh, she's very 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 unpopular. Even in a Democratic primary, she's unpopular, and people don't want her uh, butting in, and uh, and and they resented it. And well, why does doesn't The day, she... the day that uh, the, I'm sorry, the week. Yeah. Oh, no, the day. Twenty four hours. Marky raised a half a million dollars. Uh, from uh, from her endorsement of uh, of Kennedy, <laughs> and, and Kennedy didn't raise anything near that.
1: And uh, doesn't doesn't she normally not endorse uh, challenges to elected Democrats in primaries, or does yeah, that but, only work in the House?
4: Yeah. Well, this is the thing. What she says is she will endorse her um, her House Caucus members. Uh-huh. Remember, Markey was in the House too until just five plus years ago right uh... so there is some talk there has been some talk that markey got on the wrong side of some of her wealthy uh, wall street contributors and that that was really what was behind all this uh... it's hard to say what was behind it the, uh, other people have said you know she's going to step down finally and she wants to run her daughter and she wanted to make her sure that her daughter would be uh... allied with the kennedys So that's another possibility mm. So, but no one knows. She isn't. She isn't telling anybody why. I mean, the stuff that she said publicly was more in line with what I just told you. That she said that she supports her uh, her caucus members when they mm. run for for higher office. Yeah,
1: a even even against another Democrat in, in the Senate. Yeah, go ahead.
4: A, a more interesting uh, endorsement that made no sense <laughs> came from Mark Pocan, co-chair of the congressional of the prog- congressional progressive caucus. Yeah and that made no sense because what he did is it was very very serious he he split the congressional progressives off, or some of them from the grassroots support for progressives in congress Mm -hmm. and that was a big mistake he shouldn't have done it there was no real reason for for him to do it and what people have told me is that he plans to run for the opening the open ron johnson senate seat in wisconsin in twenty twenty two and that he wanted to make sure he would be allied with the Kennedys for that. And it doesn't really make a lot of no. sense. Not many people are taking poke hands, uh, hopes to run for Senate seriously anyway. And uh, he, he just made a big, big mistake. And he tried getting others to come along with him. and There were some who did, but many didn't. Uh, I know Pramila Jayapal, who's the co-chair of it, mm-hmm. uh, didn't. And people didn't understand that. Uh, well, because she, she did an event with um, uh, with Kennedy, but she also did an event with Markey. So she was sending a signal that she's neutral. She was. She she did events right. with both of
2: them.
1: Now, I listen. I'm all for, as I know you are, uh, young progressive upstarts taking on establishment Democrats in in primaries, even beloved ones. And here you have Marky who's been in, uh, you know, the House and the Senate for about 45 years. But this was not really a case of a young progressive upstart taking on an establishment Democrat. Markey, as well, is is more progressive than Joe Kennedy. Correct.
4: Very correct. I mean, people didn't understand that. First of all, Markey is, uh, according to Progressive Punch, Markey is the single most progressive, has the single most progressive voting record in the House. So he's, everyone, it has to be number one. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to have the highest. It's him. Markey, higher than Bernie, higher than Elizabeth Warren, higher than anyone else in the House, numero uno. Whereas Kennedy didn't even have an A he has he has a b rating
2: uh-huh. he's
4: the 45th most progressive uh and that that you know that doesn't work in, in a, especially in, in a district like his uh where you could where you can be as progressive as you want to be without any kind of danger so he he is someone who uh, you know, I'm not going to say he's a conservative. He's certainly nothing like a, you know a, someone like Crowley mm-hmm. or some of the arch fiends who were defeated or or even <laughs> even Engel, who wasn't even an arch fiend, just not very good. Right. Uh, he was he was an okay. he was okay. But why replace someone who's like okay? why I mean, why replace someone who's really good with someone who's just okay? Right. Yeah. And he never was able to make the case for himself. There was never any reason. He kept saying that, you know, he would vote the same way that Markey has been voting. Mm-hmm. Which isn't even true, because Markey is much, much more progressive than he is.
1: All right, I want to get to uh, the, the Richie Neal-Alex Morse uh, race in a moment, but i got two quick questions still on this one. Um, in, this, uh, in the race to win the uh, Senate, Joe Kennedy had to give up his House seat. That's right. Uh, and uh, progressive... Uh, Islan Leckie, I think is how you say her name. Uh, she did not win. She was the progressive who was running. It looks as though the more moderate Jake Oshin-Kloss will win the nomination, though. We don't know yet. Who we, yeah, ready. I was going to say, Jesse Mermel is uh, also endorsed by some progressives. Is still just a few hundred votes off the lead. But as you know today at Down With Tyranny, Blue America PAC did not endorse Leckie or even Mermel in that race for Joe Kennedy's seat. Why not?
4: Um... I'm happy to talk about this because it's going to also go to your next question as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
4: Lecky, there's no doubt in my mind would have voted, would have had a perfect voting score. I, I spoke with her on the phone, and mm-hmm. she she, in terms of policy, can't be better. She she was as good as it comes. I don't think that that's the only way of measuring. Uh, who's gonna, uh, be a good member of Congress. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find people who are going to be good members of Congress. I didn't get that feeling. I got the feeling she'd be, have a perfect vote score, mm-hmm. which is g- very, very good. If I lived in the district, I certainly would not have hesitated to have voted for her. But to ask, to, to donate my own money and to ask other people to donate their money, which is basically what Blue America does, it means more than just that. It means, I'm looking for other things ability to work well with people ability to follow through on promises Mm -hmm. courage honesty things that are that are not tangible things that are intangible Mm -hmm. and i didn't i didn't find enough of that in in her uh... to 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 endorse her like i said i would not have hesitated to have voted for her
1: mm -hmm. so when people so when people
4: of the candidates but not enough for me to ask people to donate when i ask people to donate first of all i donate myself Uh second of all it's a big deal. I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for someone writing a check for somebody, and then uh, me having to explain to them. Well, I, I didn't realize what, that they were going to turn out to be a jerk. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, gotcha. You know, no, and, and I and I would. I should think people that donate to Blue America Pack would would greatly appreciate that. Before we get to the Richie Neal and Alex Morse race, which uh, does uh, play into kind that of that as story, well. story, by the way. Yeah, the way. I know. Uh, our our friend uh, Cenk Huger uh, tweeted after the race was called, after the Markey-Kennedy race was called on Tuesday night to say, after Ed Markey wins by backing progressive policies and longtime establishment incumbents in the House like Elliot Engel, Lacey Clay, Joe Crowley, etc., lose... For fighting against progressive priorities, the message is clear, Jenk says. Here's looking at you, Chuck Schumer, uh, who, it should be noted, is up for re-election himself in 2022, not to get ahead of ourselves. But um, is Schumer in, I guess another two-part question, is Is Schumer in trouble in 2022? And does a victory like Markey's send a message to someone like Schumer Uh, that might make a difference in how Schumer leads the Senate next year if Democrats are able to retake the majority. I I suspect he's watching this uh, race in Massachusetts closely.
4: Yes, to both your questions. So I've seen two polls so far that pit Schumer against AOC. AOC has certainly not told me or anyone I know that she's running. Mm -hmm. There is always that possibility uh, and the two polls i saw polled her against him the first one showed her winning the second one showed him winning uh neither was a runaway they were both uh you know relatively close mm-hmm. so so you say is he is he thinking about this he's got to be thinking about it and i and i i've noticed schumer sort of veering a little bit over towards the left <laughs> or progressive positions lately trying to associate himself with people like bernie and elizabeth warren a little more than he used to. Uh so I think he's thinking in terms of that. And we'll see in terms yeah. of you know my my I know this guy. He went, you know, we went to the same high school. I've told you a dozen times. But he um, he's not a good guy. I don't trust him. I don't like him. I don't think he's a good senator. I don't think he'll ever be a good senator. I I am horrified that he's the leader of the Democrats. I have a terrible terrible feeling that a Something really good is going to happen on three levels. We are going to, the Democrats are going to win the White House, the Democrats are going to win the Senate, and the Democrats are going to expand their majority in the House.
1: That gives you a terrible feeling,
4: Howie? No, no, that's the good part. Oh, okay. The bad part comes next. Yeah. We will then have a very, very, very conservative Democratic uh, president, a very, 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 very conservative Democratic Senate, and, a, and a, a democratic house that can't do anything uh, at all because it's uh, just split between uh, various conservative factions of Democrats. And well, so nothing will happen. Yeah. all of the everyone who's just hoping and hoping and praying that things like uh, Green New Deal and Medicare for All and all these great large programs are going to go through are going to be very very disappointed, and we'll be looking at uh, 2022. In, in a way that we looked at 2010 of Democratic uh, uh, voters not coming out to vote and Republicans winning back the Senate and possibly the House. Well,
1: let's stick with your good feeling for a second, Howie. Uh, the idea that Chuck Schumer might be moving to the left, might be feeling some pressure as he faces a re-election in 2022. Uh, moving to
4: the just, left just, in terms yeah. of, of superficial things, not not uh, not core kind of things. So when it comes to you know him serving the interests of his uh, big donor base, which is strictly Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not moving to the left in those cases.
1: Well, you know what? Make- the left
4: on on you know uh, on, on on far less. Uh, fundamental issues.
1: I hear you. I hear you. But of course, it's our job to keep pushing them to the left, and and we'll see what happens in twenty twenty two. I got to get uh, very quickly here to Richie Neal and a- Alex Morse. Uh, you would think it would be uh, oh a great day for progressives in Massachusetts with Ed Markey winning, but in fact, uh, Richie Neal uh, has long been uh, criticized by not just progressives but many Democrats. Um, for slow-walking his efforts to review Donald Trump's tax returns after Democrats got the majority back in 2018 in the House, which gave Neil the very powerful chairmanship of the Ways and Means Committee, which, by federal law, allows him specifically to request to review the tax returns of anybody that he sees fit, but yet it took him months to even begin that procedure. Uh, He also earned
4: did not have anything to do with that decision to,
1: to what to hold it off for four months yeah w- that he would have wanted to go earlier no
4: not necessarily he he may have been happy the decision was made by nancy pelosi not by richie neal all right whether he agreed with her or disagreed with her, it doesn't matter. She made the decision, and he went
1: with it. And in any event, he's also been uh, uh, criticized by progressives for shutting down a, a prescription uh, drug bill that would have been better for patients, by derailing a bipartisan uh, effort to end... Uh, surprise medical billing. And uh, yet he won in a landslide pretty much on Tuesday night, it appears. Uh, what happened in his race against the young progressive Alex Morris, Howie?
4: So there's a, there's a lot of different theories about it. Uh, you know, I think the one that you were hinting at earlier was um, the coordinated effort by the Democratic uh, establishment starting with the young democrats uh, the, the organization the young democrats which mm-hmm. is part of the democratic establishment to smear uh unfairly smear uh alex morse and i i think that that, that it, you it has to be taken into account that that's that that's true that they did try to smear him uh they they lied and got it out there so everyone's first impression of what i'm about to say was baked into the cake then when it, it's uh It turns out not to be true. They still have the first impression. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about claims that Alex uh, used his position as both a teacher Mm -hmm. and as a mayor to have sex with younger guys. So the guys were not underage. Mm -hmm. Uh, He doesn't make any bones about being gay. The you know one of the guys who 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 uh, was put up as someone who who he had sex with later admitted he didn't even know when they had sex that that Alex was the mayor of Holyoke Mm -hmm. he wasn't aware of it so how how do you using how are you using your position as mayor to seduce somebody when the person who you supposedly seduced doesn't even know that you were the mayor but uh, again. The point is, is that this got, it got out there in an extremely coordinated way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they protected the Neil campaign, so it didn't look like it was the Neil campaign that was behind it. It looked like it was the Democratic Party of Massachusetts that was behind it, and I'm sure they were behind it. But I can't imagine they would do it without Richie Neil's people giving them the green light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was one thing that that hurt uh, Alex. On the other hand, Alex is a, uh, I think a. a Two-term mayor of Holyoke, mm-hmm. uh, and he didn't even win his own, his own city. Again, uh, all of the progr- almost all of the progressive groups backed him. Uh, you know, it was going to be a one-two punch, or maybe a one-two-three punch if you want to include Lecky. And uh, you know, I, I I couldn't do it. I just didn't feel. Again, I felt he would he I would have voted for him. Mm-hmm. I felt he would have been uh, certainly a million times better than Neil. Uh, and he would have voted right over and over again, but I didn't feel that he had what it takes to be a good member of Congress. So he,
1: too, was not endorsed by Blue America Pack, one of the few, I guess, uh, progressive outfits that did not uh, support him. him. What's that?
4: The only one that I know of that didn't endorse him.
1: As HuffPost notes in their coverage, uh, Neil uh, Congressman Neil, who has uh, defended his fundraising as a necessary tool to keep Democrats in power, he argued on Tuesday that the national news media overstates the strength of progressive of the progressive insurgent wave. Now he was defending the fact that he gets tons of money from uh, corporations, big pharma, uh, et etc., et cetera, but. Um, he noted uh, in in, uh, saying that uh, the the progressive surge is overstated that challengers from the left have unseated only five Democratic incumbents over the past two election cycles. So two questions from that, Howie. Uh, One, the 1st District... is uh, is very democratic. That's uh, th- this uh, Richie Neal uh, race. It's very democratic, though maybe less progressive after next year's redistricting. But is big corporate fundraising really necessary to hold that seat in a state like Massachusetts? Uh, and B has media. Uh, o- raising
4: the money? He's not raising the money for his own race.
1: Uh-huh.
4: If to be a, uh, a chairman of a committee, you have to raise immense sums of money for your colleagues. Uh so that's that's what he was talking about. Okay. He's, I'm not trying to make excuses cuz I yeah. don't agree with this.
2: Yeah. But he's tr-
4: trying to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars if not more to help the Democrats uh maintain power, you know, helping Yeah. For example, I got a call today from a member of Congress who I like very very much and who doesn't need any money from uh, at all and would, and has never asked me for money even though I have donated to his campaign. Mm-hmm. He called me to ask for money but not for himself. He called me to ask him, to help him raise money for Matt Cartwright who's in danger. He's a Repu- a, de- a very very strong progressive re- in a in a in a Republican leaning district mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania and he and this member of Congress who I like and who likes me called me up and said you get, can you please help me with this.
1: Okay. So the real part po- uh, uh point of this question though is uh his point about uh, the media has the media overstated the surge of progressivism in the Democratic Party? We've seen a few very big wins. You and I have talked about them on this show in in recent weeks, uh, and of course, going back to twenty eighteen and AOC, et cetera. Uh, but is the uh, surge of progressivism in the Democratic Party overstated at this time?
4: I don't know what the statement is, so I can't say if it's overstated or not. I am looking at every race as an individual race. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like you know there's some kind of like a gigantic uh, progressive wave among Congre- uh, to to beat uh, congressmen. Unfortunately, uh, so so I don't know. I mean, if that's what they're saying, I don't see anyone saying that either. To tell you the truth, well, um, that's,
1: that's what Richie Neal is saying. Is yeah, well, claiming, you know, but... what's he
4: basing it on? <laughs> you, you know, I don't. Is the media saying that? Is the media saying that progressives are, are winning like uh, landslides? and or everywhere no they're winning some races when you have especially when you have a really bad candidate like lacy clay i mean lacy clay is a crook he lost to a really good candidate but he and it took her two um, two cycles to do it right which is u- which is usual you know i, I wouldn't be surprised uh, by the way if um alex comes back in uh, 2022 mm-hmm. and takes Richie uh, Neil on again and beats
1: him. Well, he sure was talking like that in his, uh, remarks, uh, yesterday. I mean, he was going after Neil hard, even after he lost in, you know, in contrast to at least Joe Kennedy, who said, I will support the Senator, uh, no matter what, it was a great race. Thank you. And, uh, you know, called him a great champion. Alex the Morse did no such thing. And,
4: and, uh, and, and um, Alex Morse is not an establishment candidate. Last, co- you want to be an establishment candidate, you have to, you know, say you'll support your horrible opponent.
1: <laughs> Last uh, question here before I uh, get out, Howie. Uh, well, to again, another two parter, I guess. Any uh, other races of note in Massachusetts on Tuesday night, and or. Any other races that we should now be watching in advance of uh, next Tuesday's primary in Rhode Island and New Hampshire or the final one of the year? And I can hear everyone applauding uh, the week after, I believe uh, that would be in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. Anything we should be watching for in those weeks ahead?
4: Uh, Not if you want to deal with reality.
1: (laughs) What does that mean?
4: That there's nothing that, that's going to change in any of those races that, 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 uh, that's re, uh, that has to do with reality. I'm talking about in the congressional races.
1: Okay, fair enough. But I would recommend I mean, that, yeah.
4: that people start uh, focusing very, very heavily on uh, November. It's very it's not very far away. It's yep. just, you know, we're in September, then comes October, then comes November. And uh, so we're, we're, we're right on top of it, and it's, it's way more important at this point just forget about the rest of the primaries. Nothing's going to happen anyway, unfortunately, and, uh, and just and just concern yourself with beating Republican enablers of Donald Trump.
1: Sounds like a plan. Howie Klein, founder of the longtime progressive blog Down with Tyranny, and co-founder of the Blue America Pack. You can uh, find uh, his blog at downwithtyranny.com dot com, and you can find him on the Twitters at Down with Tyranny. Uh, Howie, uh, thank you for helping us through this late primary season to try to make sense of things. I'm sure we'll find another excuse or two, at least I hope, uh, to talk to you before we do get to November. Thank you, sir, for your time. Okay, take care, Brad. Thank you. you. Thank you. All right, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll take some of Howie's advice to focus on November (laughs) with some election stories, some election fights currently underway. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. You know, that's just about uh, 65,000. That's just about 20,000 more votes uh, than the gap, the margin between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Back in 2016, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. My thanks again to Howie Klein uh, and uh, taking his advice there. We will continue focusing on the November election, specifically for the moment, uh, on the fight for the right to vote, as much of the media continue to be fixated on whatever nonsense and chum that uh, Donald Trump and his administration toss into the water because they would rather everyone focus on that instead. So, speaking of Pennsylvania, we discussed briefly on our previous show that the Trump campaign and Republican Party had filed a federal lawsuit to try and block Pennsylvania from using secure drop boxes for mail-in ballots this November. That federal case has now been put on hold by the federal court for the moment to allow several related state cases to play out first. And to that end, according to AP, Pennsylvania's highest court said on Tuesday that they will take up yet another election-related lawsuit. This one filed by state Democrats amid the partisan fight over what they're calling gray areas in the Battleground State's fledgling mail-in voting law. That law was adopted late last year before the coronavirus pandemic hit. The state Democratic Party's lawsuit asked the court to order an extension of Pennsylvania's Election Day deadline to count mailed in ballots, since there will be so many of them, undoubtedly, during a global pandemic. That's a similar request to uh, one that is in a lawsuit that has already been taken up by the state Supreme Court. The uh, case also asked the court to allow mailed in ballots to be counted if they are returned without A secrecy envelope, as sometimes voters forget to send that back with their ballot. The suit asks that voters be allowed to fix problems with their mail-in ballot before it is discarded. For example, if they forget to use the secrecy envelope to allow them to come on in and say, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that's my vote. Please count it. And to uh, they're suing to uphold the requirement in state law that poll watchers be registered voters from the county in which they are observing. Republicans would like to change that to bring in observers from anywhere, oh, apparently.
3: Oh, gee. wonder uh, why they want to do that.
1: In addition, it asks the uh, court to allow the use of drop boxes. ...for absentee ballots, which Philadelphia and its heavily populated suburbs used in the primary election this year without any problem to help relieve the pressure from an avalanche of mailed-in ballots, as well as allow them to set up satellite election offices... Philadelphia and its surrounding counties are planning to use both satellite election offices and drop boxes in the November 3rd presidential election, but Republicans are opposed to that, claiming that it's a violation of the U.S. Constitution. In their federal case, even though it's regularly done in states all over the country without incident, but in the critical battleground state of Pennsylvania this year, which Trump theoretically managed to barely flip from blue to red for the first time in decades in 2016, the GOP is trying to block that, forcing people to either risk their lives to vote in person or take their chances by using the U.S. mail, which... Donald Trump's postmaster general has radically slowed down since taking office in June. Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, a Democrat, and the Republican-controlled legislature in the state, the gerrymandered uh, Republican-controlled legislature, they are at a stalemate over some of these issues with just two months to go before the election and barely two weeks before counties will begin sending out ballots to voters. In many ways, the Democratic Party's lawsuit is asking state courts to rule the opposite of what Donald Trump's campaign and the National Republican Party are seeking in federal court in Pittsburgh in that case that is on hold. It is uh, in front of a federal judge appointed by Donald Trump, so that should be convenient. The state Supreme Court, meanwhile, has a 5-2 to two Democratic majority. In Tuesday's decision for the high court to take up the case, the two Republicans on the court dissented. The uh, Trump campaign's lawsuit in federal court is currently halted until October 5 under an order issued uh, last week to let the state uh, matters play out first. The uh, Trump campaign, however, has asked the judge to change that date to September fourteen. To prevent Pennsylvania election officials from counting certain mail-in ballots, including those that are returned through drop boxes or without a secrecy envelope. While that case is pending, that's what they're hoping to do to just sort of put everything on hold. Of course, Donald Trump won Pennsylvania reportedly by a less than one percentage point, about 44,000 votes. But he lost badly in the state's most heavily populated counties. Those are the ones that are largely planning to use drop boxes to help collect mail-in ballots. So we'll keep our eye on that very closely in Pennsylvania. And in what some see as another battleground state this year, albeit a much tougher one for Democrats, a federal U.S. District Judge found Texas is legally obligated to allow voters to simultaneously register to vote with every driver's license renewal or change of address application. The federal judge ordered the state to set up a quote fully operable online system by September 23. According to the Texas Tribune, a persistent Texas voter twice thwarted when he tried. To register to vote while renewing his driver's license online has for the second time now convinced the same federal judge that the state is violating federal law. In a 68-page ruling late last week, U.S. District Judge Orlando Garcia of San Antonio found that Texas continues to violate the National Voter Registration Act. Shocker. By not allowing residents to register to vote when they update their driver's license information online. Garcia found Judge Garcia found that the Department of Public Safety or DPS is quote, "legally obligated to allow voters to simultaneously register to vote with every license renewal or change of address and ordered the state to set up a fully operable online system by September 23. The Texas, Attorney General's office did not immediately respond to a request for comment, but the state is likely to appeal the ruling because, you know, Texas. Texas. It's the second time that this judge has had to side with the same voter, former English professor Jared Stringer. Now, the National Voter Registration Act is supposed to let residents complete their voter registrations, When they apply for or when they renew their driver's licenses, that's supposed to be in all 50 states. It's a federal law. But Texas officials oppose any form of online registration. Instead, they allow people to click on a link that then would allow them to print out a copy of the registration that they then have to mail if you have a printer, if you then have to mail it in. Nonetheless, Judge Garcia wrote, DPS encourages Texans to use its online services to renew their driver's license and change their address because it's easier and more convenient.
3: And cheaper, too, for the state.
1: Are you a federal, Are you a Texas judge? Because that's <laughs> just about what he, he really? said. Yeah, he, well, he said it cannot at the same time deny simultaneous voter registration applications when those same online services... Encouraged by uh, the DPS are actually used. But it's the second time he had to say that. In 2018, he ordered the state to do exactly that because Stringer at the time and his two co-plaintiffs back then, they also sued because the, pl- the, the same problem was in place and they won. But an appellate court ended up uh, uh, tossing that case ah. because deciding it was moot because... Stringer and the two co-plaintiffs had, in fact, found another way to uh, register to vote. So they decided it was moot because they were no longer being harmed. That is the very definition of a technicality in that case that ended up tossing it. But here again, just 10 days after that admonishment from the court, Stringer was unable to update his voter registration a second time because he moved.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Oh,
1: man. So he filed a second lawsuit in January, which he has now won. I suspect that Texas, even though at least one and a half million Texans use the state's online driver's license portal every year, will appeal this case still because, you know, Texas. Texas. Yes. Speaking of, very quickly, uh, this is... Acting at the request of the uh, the secretary of state, the Texas attorney general sued Harris County. That's the home of the huge city of Houston this week after Houston refused to drop plans to send applications for mail-in ballots for the November general election to more than two million registered voters. Attorney General Ken Paxton, who is himself under indictment for securities fraud, is asking a state district court to bar Harris County Clerk Chris Hollins from proactively providing the applications, not the ballots, but just the applications to to every registered voter. The lawsuit marks the latest development in a growing battle over voting by mail in Texas during the coronavirus pandemic. The fight has focused on which voters are eligible to cast an absentee ballot, but it's now expanded ...to include a disagreement between the state and its most populous county over who can even receive the application to request a mail-in ballot. While the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have been battling it out in court, this action marks the most prominent intervention by the state in local election practices, because, as you know, Republicans are all in favor of big government at least when it comes to preventing small local government from doing stuff that they don't like, like making it easier and safer in the middle of a pandemic for people to vote. Uh, The attorney general is arguing that uh, there is no state law that specifically prohibits election officials from sending out mail-in ballot applications to all voters. But Paxton argues the county clerks are only expressly empowered by the election code to send out applications to voters who request them first. He says there is no statute empowering county clerks to send applications to uh, vote-by-mail voters who have not requested such an application. Uh, Just amazing. Uh, The Secretary of State's office is claiming that Harris County's endeavor would amount to abuse of voters' rights.
3: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yes, they're actually doing the, filing this case in support of voters' rights, which is darling. Uh, they argue that it may cause confusion and, quote, impede the ability of persons who need to vote by mail to do so by clogging up the vote by mail infrastructure with applications from voters who do not qualify under Texas's strict restrictions, preventing most voters younger than the age of 65 from being able to vote by mail. That is something that Texas also fought very hard to keep in place, despite a federal court finding uh, earlier that fear of contracting the coronavirus was a good enough excuse to vote by mail in Texas. But that decision was later overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. But Harris County's heroic county clerk, Hollins, is refusing to back down from his plan. Douglas Ray, a special assistant, a county attorney in Harris County, says Texas has, quote, taken the position that somehow sending the application form that would make it easier for someone to vote is somehow impeding a person's ability to vote. The lack of logic in that assertion, he says, is beyond me. Well, he must be new to the Lone Star State. <laughs> Texas is just one of six states that have not opened up mail-in voting to any voter concerned about getting COVID-19 at a polling place. So, unbelievable. The fight continues. Uh, Since we are getting ready for uh, some time off over the upcoming holiday weekend, I know I, for one, could use something hopeful and encouraging to hold me over. I think we've got just the ticket. That's coming up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate.
2: Headed for the open door.
1: We come running. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Hope everyone is is ready to start running. We uh, played a bit of progressive, yes, 74-year-old Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey's victory remarks after his... uh, Primary defeat of the much less progressive Joe Kennedy, the third on Tuesday. Uh, We played that earlier in the show with Howie Klein. But as noted, as we are looking forward to a long holiday weekend coming up and there are just over 60 days until November 3rd at this point, I know I could use some inspiration to help us get through it all. To that end, Senator Markey, climate champion, offered exactly that on Tuesday night.
0: I see the sacrifices that families are making in this pandemic and economic crisis to keep the lights on, the food on the table, a roof overhead. And no matter where I go across the state, you tell me you want something so basic, so simple, you almost shouldn't have to say it. You want your children to dream about the future instead of having to fear about the future. You want justice. You want justice. For your children and for future generations. In this race, justice was on the ballot. Healthcare justice, that's Medicare for all and universal health care. <laughs> Educational justice, so that every student has access to first class schools and well paid teachers. <laughs> Economic justice, so that three billionaires don't hold more wealth than the bottom 50 percentile of our population combined. That's an economic system that's gone off the rails. Racial justice, racial justice, so that we confront our history, make reparations, and root out the systemic racism that keeps us from achieving the promise of liberty and justice for everyone. Today and every day, we say, Black Lives Matter, Black Voices Matter. And environmental justice, that's the Green New Deal. The one issue, the one issue, combating the climate crisis which defines our future. Every other problem is linked to it. No solution to any challenge will be successful unless we address it. There will be no peace, no justice, and no prosperity unless we stop the march to climate destruction. This is a matter of life and death. The very future of our civilization depends upon it. There is no time for simply doing what we can. There is no time for compromise on the existential threat to our time. We must pass a Green New Deal. And justice, justice is at the heart of the agenda that we have to pass in 2021. Justice for all Americans, black and white, Latinx and Asian, and Native American and indigenous, young and old, rich and poor, abled and disabled, gay, straight, trans, and genderqueer. This will be my agenda. In the United States Senate
1: There you go Tell you what, he's 74 years old He sounds like he's about 20 or 30 years younger than me, Desi Doyen
3: (laughs) Yeah, and you know, I will say uh, Joe Kennedy, Representative Joe Kennedy Mm -hmm. um, Now no longer a representative uh, He is good on climate He actually has a very high rating from the League of Conservation Voters But the Sierra Club said, you know Kennedy is good on climate, but Markey is better
1: And he has been fighting for climate change action for years, even well before he got into the U.S. Senate.
3: Definitely. He's also the co author of the 2009 Waxman Markey bill. Yep. He's Markey in that Markey yep. bill. And that was the first really significant comprehensive attempt at curbing carbon emissions by putting a price on carbon. So it failed at the time, but you know, it having- failed
1: thanks to, by the way. Democrats in the U.S. Senate, as I recall. Yes, of
3: course. There was a big fight. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid at the time felt it would not pass and it would be too damaging to vulnerable Democratic senators who, surprise, turned out were vulnerable anyway. (laughs) Yes.
1: Uh, And that's sort of the same thinking that many Democrats, I think, have uh, in discussing the Green New Deal. At some point, they're going to realize That is exactly what we need. And even Joe Biden now says, I want to put two trillion dollars towards climate in a package that sounds remarkably like the Green New Deal, even if it doesn't have that name on it. Yes. My thanks once again to our uh, guest today, Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny, to my producer Desi Doyen, as ever and as always to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other going back years and years, damn near decades, you can download them now for uh, for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible, as is our show every day, by uh, folks like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay independent, progressive, and yes, on your public airwaves. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you may or may not find me at TheBradBlog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.